So it's great to be able to talk about hockey, even in the summer months, and just so nobody gets upset and they're wondering why we're not talking about the Saginaw Spirit or the Sudbury Wolves or the Windsor Spitfires yet. It's because they're at the end of the alphabet. I can't get any criticism for being the homer that I am because we're going alphabetically. It starts in Barrie. It goes to Erie. Deal with it unless you want to change the alphabet. And don't even talk to me about reverse alphabets. So to Erie we go. And Mark Scheig, who has been covering the Otters for a number of years now, a friendly and familiar face when we get there to the Erie Insurance Arena. And Mark, it's nice to even just have the opportunity to talk to you about the league that is coming back this fall. Boy, Mike, it is really good to hear your voice as well. And yeah, count me for someone that's not going to want to change the alphabet or anything like that. You're right and they're wrong no matter what anyone else says. I like to say that about three star selections and a bunch of other things too along the way because that's what we do in this game, right? We have some Mm -hmm. fun with it. Always. (laughs) Hey, how's life been in Pennsylvania lately anyway? Listen, um, it's been great to be completely honest. The COVID situation is way down. I think just yesterday we only had two new cases reported. Um, Vaccinations are going maybe a little bit slower than what um, people would want to see. But I think the best news out of Erie as of late has been the recently completed showcase that just happened up at Erie Bank Sports Park where the Otters do practice. Had over 100 OHL players come in for two weeks They played the entire two weeks with NHL scouts, with family, with, you know, a couple friends, with some fans, and there were no positive cases in the two weeks. So the fact that we can sit here, like you said, talk about hockey, talk about that success, got the schedules that just recently came out. We can talk about that and just, it's finally nice to know that we're finally getting back to a little bit of normalcy. We can talk OHL hockey. I'll tell you what, if the borders had permitted, I would have been down there with you watching Mm -hmm. that showcase just to get that taste because I kind of feel a little bit like a scout who's been watching everything just on video. You see the occasional clip or the occasional piece here and there. What was it like taking in the showcase? What did you notice by way of the tempo of the games even? Very interesting. At the beginning, you can tell there was a lot of rest because – Players were in different situations. You know, some were able to train a lot more than others, you know, who could get ice time. So first couple games definitely seemed a little bit chippy. And a lot of the scouts said the same thing. But as it got along there, I mean, there were it was real good junior hockey. They're playing by junior rules. There was hitting. There were penalties called. There was even a suspension because of a high hit. So it, it, it really felt like, you know, being back in the rink, being able to watch real games. But, you know, there was stuff on the line with scouts, uh, you know, watching some of these players, you know, maybe trying to get a little bit of last minute information or, you know, maybe some of these kids who, you know, lost their draft year will now get a chance because of what they were able to demonstrate in those two weeks. So just being there. It was really neat to see everybody just excited to be there. And, and Mike, let me tell you, the kids, just it, they were so happy to be feeling normal again. For those two weeks, they had no restrictions. They were able to go to the beach on their off day. They got to go to the golf course. This was stuff they haven't been able to do for the last year plus. And I can't remember who exactly said this, but I think someone on Saginaw said this. They said that you know for those two weeks, 
it was surreal because I felt like that I could live my life again. And just for them to be able to hear that, it just really tugs at your heart, just knowing what they've been through, waiting for something, anything to get back to normal. And, you know, they're going to cherish the time that they had here because of what they experienced. And hopefully it'll lead to something better for them in the future. That's a really good insight into the human side of all of this, because so often, Mark, I mean, we sit in the same press box at the games in Erie and, mm-hmm. and we watch from on high, right? We're watching from above and these are athletes and these are in many cases soon to be professional athletes. And I think sometimes we forget about the human beings under those helmets and inside those uniforms. Oh, hundred percent. And just to be able to relate to them, they, they were actually happy to see us, you know, so sometimes <laughs> where they're, after a loss or whenever you talk to them, they, they don't want to talk to you. They were eager to talk to us. They were so happy. It just felt normal to them. And Mike, there a couple of Kitchener Rangers were down there. I got to talk to Jesse Fishman, had a really nice tournament for them. Mike Petizian was at this tournament. You could just tell that everyone was just having fun, being with the guys. It, it, it was just really incredible to be able to witness firsthand maybe something we don't see every day, like you said. So when last we left the Erie Otters, Mark, there was a, a battle going on tooth and nail with the Sioux Greyhounds for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. So way back in 2019, 2020, it's funny because, as I said, going alphabetically, my first conversation with, was with Gene Pereira in Barrie, and both the Colts and the Kitchener Rangers played on the final day, what turned out to be the final day of that mm-hmm. OHL season, March yeah. the 11th, 2020. Uh, Barrie wins in Owen Sound, Kitchener wins in Guelph. They were both scheduled to play again that Friday, and nothing of course, more came of it. The the yep. Otters had played on Sunday, March the 8th, a tough loss to Saginaw and would have been looking forward to a rematch with the Spirit and continuing. They were holding on by one point to that playoff spot. That was then. Yep. What do the Erie Otters look like now? Much different, Mike. <laughs> and that's, oh gosh, I mean, when you don't realize how much time has actually gone by, you know, with everything that has happened, it seems like that, you know, time has clipped together. But, you know, the Otters were on that bus on the way to Saginaw for that game when they found out that everything was being shut down. So that was surreal in itself. But think about who's not in the Otters anymore now. I mean, the first name, obvious name that you'll see because he's been in the NHL is Jamie Drysdale. I mean, the fact that he was able to go to San Diego, do his thing there, to be able to then go to Anaheim and perform really, really well. I mean, he knew that the skating was going to be there. It's a little bit of question about if he could hang with some of the bigger players and he had no issue with that adjustment. So that's going to be the the biggest omission that fans will see in Erie is Drysdale will no longer be here, but some other familiar names, Chad Yetman, um, Max Golod, um, Daniel Murphy was the starting goaltender. He's obviously moved on. You know, a couple others I've got listed here, Matthew McDougal, Kean Sopa, um, Jacob Golden, Drew Hunter. And they're, they're without a captain anymore. Jack Duff has moved on. Curtis Henry has moved on. So it's a lot of players that have moved on. So it's like, so who's going to replace them? They think the big name that I'm um, going to catch a lot of people's attention was their first round pick last year. Number eight overall, Spencer Sova. He's kind of Jamie Drysdale 2.0. He demonstrated his skating is just unreal. He was at the showcase and scouts were already saying that he was the best skater in a lot of the games, even though um, he was one of the younger players that was at that showcase. So some they'd be able to be able to replace Drysdale with somebody like Sova. 
So that's, that's a good sign. That's a sign of where I think the otters are going, Mike, is that they really prioritize trying to get faster. They feel like the game is getting faster. So being able to have um, a puck moving defenseman like Sova is going to be obviously very important. Lucas Ross is another name that fans are going to want to see. He, he was their second round pick from last year. He really impressed as well at this showcase showing um, a speed and skill. Um, so again, speed is going to be the element here. So when you see the honors next time, they're going to be a faster team than what a lot of fans remember. And that's going to be their hallmark moving forward. Um, just seeing things like that go. You know, you talk about guys that graduated to the National Hockey League, and I immediately jumped to last night as we record this on June the 29th, but opening the scoring in the Stanley Cup final is none other than Eric Chernak, who oh, yeah. I remember, and I'm sure you do, Mark, watching there at the Erie Insurance Arena. Absolutely. Oh, in fact, I just wrote a piece about him and Anthony Sorelli. I mean, both of them just having an absolute impact on the Lightning, but Chernak scoring his first postseason goal the way he did to get that one nothing goal and a beautiful deflection like that. I, uh, the story behind Chernak, it, it, it's really funny, is I believe Steve Eisenman was in Erie back when he was still the GM with Tampa Bay, and he ran into Chris Knobloch, and they end up talking about Chernak. Like, Eisenman caught on to you know, this kid, you know, bigger kid, and got, Otters got him in the import draft, and you know he came in, and he was a very important part, a kind of very underrated part of that um, championship team, just being steady, being calm, just knowing how to make the right play. But he was always just a pain to play against because he'd hit you, he'd play an honest game. Um, at that time, he didn't know very much English, so we really didn't talk to him very much. But he let um, his play on the ice do the talking. And, you know, he helped the Otters win a championship, won a cup last year with Tampa Bay, and he's, you know, well on his way to um, – helping Tampa Bay try to win back-to-back cups. You mentioned speed kind of being the calling card of this Otters team, the way it's been put together. And that just takes me to the general manager, Dave Brown, who's the forever tinkerer. And even, Mm -hmm. uh, even before this year's draft, he was tinkering enough to bring some more picks in so that there were 13 selections for the Otters in the 2021 priority selection. Absolutely. And, you know, over the last couple of years since that championship team, their cupboards have been bare because they ended up using all their assets to bring in a player like Anthony Sorelli, bring in a player like Warren Fogle, who was a huge part of that team. So they, you know, he, he realized that there's going to be a couple of years worth of pain. And yeah, it was very painful and eerie because, you know, it was really truly a rebuild. But he was able to finally get that cupboard back together, get some of those picks back, obviously trading Taylor Radish um, to Sault Ste. Marie, help with that process and bring able to get some picks. And that's just it. Even this year, too, when you look at the way that they drafted this year, Kerry Terrence is probably one of the best skaters in this entire draft for this year. And he might even have a shot to make this opening night ride. I, I expect him to, but th- that's, just, that's just it. Him and um, the kid that they took in the second round, Teo Artichuk, someone else who's really good on the wing, who's an excellent skater. So it's very clear. You know, you said tinkering. I think that's really good because they realize where the league is going and, you know, they need to be able to try to keep up. So that's, you know, that's been the focus of their scouting staff is being able to bring in those players who can, you know, play at the kind of pace that they're looking to play. 
When I look back, Mark, again, at sort of where we left off, this Otters team, as we mentioned, was was in a battle to make the playoffs. But that in itself, you know, having late season games that matter because you're either in or you're out would keep a fan base engaged. But I, I wonder how the Otters faithful uh, were handling sort of the rebuild after those that record-setting four straight 50-plus win seasons. Well, we can go on for an hour talking about the Erie fan base, the way they <laughs> handle certain things, whether it be London and Sweet Caroline or other than that. They knew it was going to be painful, but then eventually – now, there was even a lot of angst against the head coach, Chris Hartsburg. For a while, a, lot of the, a certain segment, we'll say, of the fan base was not happy with the way that um, he handled some stuff. But, you know, you got to actually give them a lot of credit, knowing that, you know, maybe their roster wasn't up to snuff with a lot of the teams that are out there. But they were able to get the best out of their players when they could. And, and they were competitive. And I think that's a sign. The fact that they were in that eighth position battling Sault St. Marie still with the roster that they had, you knew, you knew it was not up to the top echelon teams of the league, but they wanted to be hard to play against. They wanted to play a fast game. And you know that, that's credit to Hartsburg for having everybody ready to be able to play. And now I just think that he's got a bit of a better, still, still young in a lot of places, but still certainly a lot more younger talent. I haven't even mentioned Connor Lockhart yet. That, that's somebody that, God, you want to talk about someone who is going to be hit by the not being able to play and then have his draft year. Nobody knows where to slot him. Like there's, there's a certain group of people that think he can go um, in this draft and probably high, but then there's others that look at him and say he didn't play and he could have really used the season to prove where he is at. That's another player that I think that could really take a step under Hartsburg who can play fast, who can have skill. Um, I think the fans, um, expect a little bit more now knowing who's here. Um, and if it continues, if they take a step back, then real early you'll see that the fans are going to be a little bit upset and we'll wonder where it goes from there. Speaking of coaches, uh, Wes Wolf, I don't care how he coaches, hands down the best dressed coach this league has ever had. We're going to miss him. He was a good guy, but what does it mean to the Otters bench? Uh, well, the remember Vince Lace, former Hamilton coach, former Otters assistant, he's back now. So he, he comes back in and yeah, you, you mentioned it. Wes Wolf is just an amazing guy. Just the way that he handles himself, the way that he teaches, he's just a very smart, bright mind. You knew it was just a matter of time before he was going to get his opportunity. We wish him nothing but the best, but you now Hartsburg is back. BJ Adams is back. Now Vince Lace is back. Um, Again, I, I think it's a nice, it's a good mix because you have the um, Hartsburg, the experience of Hartsburg. You have Vince Lace, who's been a head coach. You have BJ Adams, who's I think soon to be a head coach. I think I think there's a good presence there. And the, I'll tell you, Mike, the Otters have really prioritized something that I don't, don't think gets enough attention out there, and that's taking advantage of the time in the off season, especially with COVID, when you had Zoom meetings and. You know, trying to keep the team engaged, they really focused on a lot of the off the ice stuff, like learning how to become a leader. And they participated in um, some other trainings and different things like that. Black girl hockey, they got involved with, you know, kind of feeling uncomfortable and just 
I think right there, they, they utilize their time in such a way that, you know, Dave Brown is somebody who not only wants you to do really well on the ice, but they want to train young men for the future and for their future off the ice. And I think the Otters did a fantastic job utilizing the extra time they had to try to make the best out of a pretty bad situation. Before we get to our uh, feature interview for this podcast, which will be a chat that Popper and I had with Dave Brown before a game a couple of seasons back, obviously Dave has got uh, a lengthy history in this Ontario Hockey League and, and much like Wes Wolf, one of the good guys, there's so many of them in this league that I'm sure you've gotten to know as well, Mark, that they're mm-hmm. easy to talk to. They've got lots of stories to share and lots of knowledge to to impart to guys like you and I who are even just covering the teams. Yeah. Hundred percent, and that's the nice part about it. And, you know, when you know when we talk and we're, when the recorder isn't on, they love to be able to exchange stories. And it, they're the kind of guys that you just sit back, just kind of shut up a little bit, and you listen to them. And I've learned so much from them. It's helped me become a better reporter, um, and I think you know it's helped you know be able to build a good relationship, you know, with you know, different members of the team. You know, it just. I cherish those moments. I don't take them for granted because, you know, it doesn't always work out like that. So when you get the opportunity, take advantage of it. I really hope young reporters are listening to that, Mark, because that is such a great point. Just sit back and listen. We've had the opportunity over our years in this league to come across so many of, of the Dave Browns and guys that have gone on to to pro careers that or, or maybe we're, we're pro players that, that came back to coach at this level, whatever the case may be, there's a real opportunity to just absorb some information, learn and become better at the job that you do in all of yeah. this. Oh, absolutely. And we, it doesn't matter how long we've been in the league. You could be yeah. just beginning. You could be out 20, 30, 40 years, whatever ends up being, you never stop learning. There's always something out there and you don't want to miss those opportunities because sometimes the best things come out of that. Okay, before we get to that feature interview with uh, with Dave Brown, your story or stories, Gene threw three at me because he had so many he wanted to tell, but we call this OHL stories for a reason. What is your favorite or some of your favorites from your age? Oh, wow. Being able to cover McDavid. My first year was actually covering McDavid's draft year. The, the, the right fresh off the street into Erie Insurance Arena. And wouldn't you know, my first interview is with Connor McDavid. You could imagine <laughs> how just nervous I was of trying, you know, I, I realized, you know, the, the kind of the star power kid that he was, but then by the time I got done with that interview, I'll never forget. And this is just Connor McDavid in a nutshell. He knew I was nervous. He knew I was new, but he pulled me off to the side after that first interview and said, you know, you did a really good job with that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to working with you and, you know, moving forward, you know, I've just, Everything that he does, it, it just it, it screams the kind of character that he is. I remember there's a time at the combine and during um, the lead up to his draft, up in Buffalo, um, there was a big scrum like Sportsnet, TSN were all up there. Um, McDavid comes out of the circle, sees me in the in the scrum, and not only says hi to me, he asks how I'm doing, how's Erie doing. Like he really cared about his time with the Otters. And that's just for somebody that's a superstar like that, for them to be able to take the time, you know, it might seem like a small thing, but it just shows how much he cared about the Otters, about the OHL. And it just further shows the kind of character that he was. Um, and then Mike, one other story that I just have to share, I think it's just my absolute favorite. So 
anybody that's watched the OHL for the last few years know about Alex DeBrinket, know about the 50 goal seasons and being able to win most valuable player the year that they ended up winning the OHL championship. Well, my favorite thing is for pregame, him and Kyle Maximovich would always come into the media room. And maybe you've seen this when you were, when you were at Erie Insurance Arena. But when they came in, they didn't come down for the Buffalo Wild Wings usually. They didn't come down for any of the regular dinner. They came down for a Tim Hortons donut. And I tell you what, almost every home game, Debrinka would come down, grab a donut, just eat it right there, and he'd usually go out and score a goal or two. For someone who scored as many goals as he did in the OHL, to have that tradition of scarfing a Tim Hortons donut down as a kind of a pregame ritual, that just always stood with me. And, yeah, it, I mean, if that's what it took for him to become the MVP, then so be it. But I, I, I don't ever recall st- seeing anything like that where it, it happened every home game. And – and look! Look what he's been. Look what he's turned into. So it explains everything, Mark. Does, everybody's because right because right? everybody was asking from the moment he came into the league how oh it must be because he's playing with McDavid oh it must be because he's playing with Strom it must be this it must be that mm. it, he's not going to you know it was it was a flash in the pan he's not going to do it again next year he's not going to do it at the next level and here all this time it was it was the donuts now we know yeah and <laughs> one more thing about McDavid too I'm glad you kind of brought this up. When he speaks, you listen. We were just talking about you sit back and listen. When we actually asked him about Debrinket, you know, do you feel like that it, his goals are a representation of you? And he just kind of gave a stern look and said, he's a really good player, even without me. And I just always remember that, too, because, you know, he, he moved on. He still scored at the same pace. And then he's tearing up the NHL the way he is. So if McDavid says something, it's probably the truth. And if you're thinking something different, you need to change. That's interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, real quickly on McDavid. Um, he, he told me a lie. I know he did because his, his draft year uh, in as the visiting team, obviously, I was doing an interview with Connor before the Rangers-Otters game. And everybody yep. in the world, including Connor McDavid, knew that he was going first overall that summer and would not be back in the Ontario hockey league. So I kind of referenced that in my, you know, my question kind of winding down your OHL career. I think there were four or five games left in the, in the season and whatnot. He says, yeah. And he says to me, well, you never know. I might be back here next year. No, no (laughs) Connor, (laughs) but that was the humility. That was his approach, right? It was just another hockey game for him. It really was. That's exactly. (laughs) And to think he, he could have, Shandiri, right now, sure. the way that he got drafted, and but that's not who he was. He embraced it. He's actually called Erie some of the best years of his life because of that. And yeah, the, like you said, it speaks to the humility of who he is. And we're we're all fortunate that we got to cover him, get to know him, and to see what he's doing in the NHL. Count us all blessed. The guy that has built this team that Mark just talked about as being a fast team. It's going to be some up tempo entertaining hockey at the Erie Insurance Arena. Dave Brown is the general manager. Popper and I caught up with him before a game a couple of seasons ago. And I'm pretty sure, by the way, uh, Dave Brown still owes me and Pope beers at an Erie Seawolves game. But he said we can only come on Buck a Beer Night. Oh, that, that's Dave Brown in that yeah, show as so- well. Sounds right? about right, doesn't it? Checks out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mark, thanks so much for doing this with us. Oh, Mike, it was a pleasure. Thank you for the time. And off we go to that interview with Dave Brown. Sometimes from the outside looking in, we look at this maybe almost like fantasy sports. When the years you're loading up, you're going after all these guys, and then it's time to unload. Is there one job that's uh, more fun than the other? 
Well, I think you have more fun when you're winning. So <laughs> I, I think that's uh, that's one thing. But you know what? It, it, it's a different perspective because you're watching guys develop and get better on a daily basis is 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 pretty interesting. And you know what? I think we stripped it right down to the the bare bone. Um, with this last one and our our young guys will will win us games and our young guys will lose us games so it's it's interesting I, I think both both scenarios are a little good and then one of the things I said was that when you're winning 50 games four years in a row you really don't take enough time to appreciate what you're what you're going through I know after you know the first two wins that everyone said well we have a chance to win 50, you know, be the first team in the OHL to win 50 three years in a row. And then you, you spend so much time worrying about getting to 50 because you're trying to break that record. And then I'm like, after the third one, you're like, okay, great. Now we'll just, and then they're like, hey, if you do it fourth time, that's a CHL record. So really reflecting back, it's it's something we haven't really, we didn't take enough time to enjoy that time. Have you taken time now to reflect back on those four years? And what do you take from it? You know what? I, I think one of the things we take from it is that, uh, you know, I think we had probably a perfect recipe of character and, and skill on those teams. And I look back even like last night to, to you know, where um, the Chicago uh, writer had talked about how Debrinket, Stroman, McDavid went for dinner the night mm-hmm. before. And, you know, they, you know, they, they shared some time. And then, you know, McDavid had said it was it was kind of weird. We were all on the same team at the exact same time. And and it is that is weird, and I think we look back and I think we were pretty spoiled as a as an organization and, and the hockey operations staff, but also the fans. I think we we maybe took for granted what we had. What's that like for you, Dave, to see those three guys now in the show doing what they're doing, but still you know maintaining those bonds that they forged here in Erie? Yeah, I, I think I I think it's exciting. I mean, we we spend a lot of time still talking to a lot of those guys. Um, and you know Eric Cernak scoring his first NHL goal with Tampa the other night, and you know when uh, I text him, he's still like within 30 seconds. I think he thinks he's on curfew or something. He, <laughs> he sends it right back, so it's like hey. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's exciting to watch these guys hit some, you know, some career marks. You know, obviously DeBrink hit with 100 points in the NHL, and um, you know, and obviously with with Connor just continuing to progress, and then seeing you know the, how good the change has been for for. Dylan and you know um so it's it's been it's exciting like every day you can kind of look through and you know um there's guys nipping at the nipping at the door to try and get in you know darren radish in chicago and that we we, we think that'd be kind of neat if they gave him an opportunity to have three guys on one team so you mentioned those names and it's hard not to talk about those names when you talk about the Erie otters obviously connor is connor everyone knew what he was and what he was going to be the one that I always circle back to is Debrinket, because he was virtually unheard of, and then all of a sudden he comes in and he's a superstar. And then you think, oh, well, now he's going to cool off. No, now he's better. And then, no, now he's going to cool off. And no, now he's in the NHL. What is the story from your eyes with Alex Debrinket? Well, I, I think Jimmy McKellar had said to me, the only person who doesn't know he's five seven and a quarter is Alex Debrinket. <laughs> um, he's just, he's got that perseverance with him. And, you know, it's funny, we have a quick video that we show our, our prospects, and it's Alex Debrinket first week of his OHL career. And then we show the Memorial Cup uh, interview and how much he grew character-wise as a person. And, you know, I, I, I just think with Alex, he's just so humble. Um you know, it was something that he never really took, 
you know, for granted his accomplishments and continuing just to, you know, gain steam. And, you know, I, I remember when he got cut, we were watching uh, from the U.S. national team as a 19-year-old. We were watching the game together as a team, um, U.S. and Canada, and we were watching it from Wild Wings in, in Saginaw. And, you know, you could tell he was emotionally hurt, and it could have been easy for him to, at that point to say, you know what, you know, there, there's so much adversity. I was so hard done by, but he came back stronger, and I think that was a key for me to see that, you know what, this guy will be successful continuing moving forward. You just mentioned the culture and the, the character again here for the second time. We talked about it earlier with the recipe for success that you had over those four great years. And I, I talked to Jay McKee just before we came over here and asked him about these guys that he coached he now sees in the NHL. And he mentioned their character as well. So I'm reflecting back on a conversation we had with Kyle Raftis about a week ago. And he said, they don't look necessarily for the best OHL player. They look for the best Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound. So what makes an eerie otter player? How much character are you looking for as well, of course, as the talent on the ice? Yeah, oh, I, I think, I think you know, we've, we've turned our, you know, we've, we've deleted a lot of players off our draft list based on, you know, what we perceive to be maybe bad work habits, um, poor body language on the ice, more so towards teammates as opposed to, you know, officials or that sort of thing. And I, I just think when, when times get tough, um, it's so easy for these guys to be able to turn the other way and say, you know, I can't do it. And um, But we're looking for that resiliency that, that these kids have. And, you know, did they have a bad game? Um, you know, what, what their... And, what parent interaction is it is a positive parent interaction or is it you know continued pressure to to kind of achieve but you know i i I think for us i i mean we we put a lot of emphasis on 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 the person um you know we ask their coaches we ask them about work habits and practice work habits in the weight room uh or you know working out um and and we try to extract that we've done a lot of work with a company called uh core five and they they're based out of they were based out of Edmonton. The guy is uh, Al Hammernick, who works with us, has now since moved to Ontario. But um, and you know we he kind of gives us about five questions that we can ask in the interview uh, process on the telephone that can kind of give us an idea. Um, and then we just kind of we we tell the scouts, you know, it's great that he had two goals, but did he work hard? And I think one of the staples here has been how hard we work and. You know, I know that's one of the things with Chris. He's continued to push, and, you know, although some nights we get beat, I think our work ethic has been pretty good. Do you know what those five questions are, and can you tell us? I don't know. <laughs> I cannot tell you. I don't want to. Um, but, I, I mean, and there's some, there's some like, I mean, where does where does your desire to to succeed come from? Like, what what is what is a, a factor that you know is is pushing you to succeed? You know, why do you play the game? You know, things like that can kind of direct you. And we're we're looking for guys that are self motivated. Um, they can regulate themselves uh, in terms of you know, do we have to babysit them? Here we we wear heart rate monitors all the time. So um, you know, I I get a if I'm not here in Erie with the team, um, Chris Hartsberg and I get a, an output of you know what their max heart rate was on that day what it was you know what i mean so we've done a lot of things to try and you know regulate them but they also have to regulate themselves uh just going back you'd mentioned the the chl record four win or 450 win seasons it all came together on that ohl championship what was that finally like raising that trophy you know what I, I think anytime you get that you get that close and you just you see it like you know in in 15 where like it was it, you know we got there and we thought okay well we were the best one of the best players in the league and um 
you just you, you I, I don't know I, to be honest it was it was unreal um, just to be able to uh, you know complete it and finish it it was it was it was unbelievable because you get so close so many times and you know that time it was like like when we won you know Scott Halpenny um, was now at the Sabres we kind of looked at each other and like do we just did we just do that and before we actually celebrated we had to look and we're like did, did that actually happen so there was a lot of close calls I mean we went seven games with uh, London and Owen Sound took us right to the edge as well so there was a lot of really close you know calls in that in that time and uh I, I think the harder it is, the, the the more you can cherish, and you're able to reflect on the good times. How's this uh, community and this fan base been responding to the rebuild? Well, I think they're you know it's it's hard. I, I I can look at it and 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 I know the direction that I want it to go. I know when things are going in the right direction, and and you know. I mean, you can look at things and say, you know, our power play or our power play is at 19%. They would like to see it at 25 um, You know, our penalty kill hasn't been great, and it's at 66%. And, you know, they want to see it at 85%. Um, it, it's hard. I mean, young kids make mistakes, and that's how they get better. If they never make mistakes and everything comes easy, probably not going to have a very good result down the road. So it's a little easier for me. Um, you know, I... I beg for their patience, and we'll hopefully better days will be ahead. That, some of that patience was exercised before Connor came here, before the winning that we talked about. He mentioned that when he was drafted here, some people asked him, right, do you want to go there? And he said, I'm going wherever, they, wherever I get drafted to. Much of the same when he went to Edmonton. And obviously what's going on in Edmonton isn't pretty right now and everything. Do you talk to him, and is there a message that you tell him to just kind of you know stay doing what you're doing? I, I haven't talked to Connor directly um, you know, over the last over the last year, uh, he did pop in f- for a game here, and you know we kind of talked, but nothing really on that. I, you know, I talked to Brian, his father, uh, about uh, two weeks ago, and you know he he's kind of the same message that you know Brian um, obviously has a lot of you know he, he's a, he I don't want to say persu- he can persuade him, but he he's a lot a lot of. Uh, you know clout with with connor and i think you know he's that's why connor is who he is today and you know he'll stay patient through the process and i think what a lot of people forget too here is we only won 19 games this first year here so it wasn't all it wasn't all rosy like i think that was probably the first time like when he 19 he's like 19 games are you kidding i I don't we're only winning 19 so it was really difficult for him at that point as well so um but uh yeah I, i think anytime you're rebuilding you have to stay patient because the minute you veer off the road the the you know the goal gets a little further be, you know away so appreciate your time dave thanks so much thanks Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. He had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.